We're going to be talking about salmon in this episode with Congressman Mike Simpson. Let's kick it. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to episode number 67. This is Jim Huntsman, the host of the Western Huntsman podcast, and I am coming at you from the Broken Tine studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. Uh, guys, thanks for joining us on the show today. We've got uh, a big conversation coming up for you. Uh, a couple of announcements prior to getting to that conversation, and uh, thanks everybody for kind of bearing with me last week and and uh, dealing with uh, not a repeat episode, but uh, an episode that I actually thought was a lot of fun, and apparently you guys did too because we got a ton of downloads on it. So it looks like we're going to hit our deadline that uh, I was talking about. Speaking of deadlines, tomorrow, today is, let's see, let me make sure tomorrow is right before I say that. Yeah, uh, actually tonight. So actually, we're we're gonna we're gonna push this. We're gonna push this because we still have entries coming in. I didn't realize for some reason I thought the twelfth was on Tuesday, but um, let's push this to Thursday at midnight on the fifteenth. Third Thursday at midnight on the fifteenth is when the youth contest or I'm sorry coloring contest uh, pictures are sent back to me, and that's when they're due. Is is gonna be midnight on the fifteenth. So if you've got a kiddo between the ages of uh, I, I think it was up to eight years old. And uh, you jump on our Facebook or Instagram and find the uh, coloring page of that big buck and you print that off and have them color it and write their name on it and send it back to me. Uh, we're going to have a winner drawn on uh, basically for, for next week's episode just because uh, we're running a little running a little tight this uh, this week here. So. We're going to push that to Thursday the 15th, which is in a few days. That'll give you some extra time. If you haven't had them enter, the winner's going to win a T-shirt that says the Western Huntsman on it. And I'm excited to get that uh, that taken out. And so what we're going to do is that is that's going to be a total random drawing. So don't worry about like, you know, if, if maybe your kid's uh, not as good of a color as some other kid, or let's say you've got two siblings that are entering the contest and one is older and much better at coloring within the lines than the other, don't sweat that part because this is just a random drawing. It's it's what I do is I take all the names and I put them into a uh, Excel spreadsheet and it picks a random winner on that one. So um, no worries on that. But let's uh, let's get them get them into me by midnight on Thursday, April fifteenth, and we'll have a winner and go from there. By the way, we got a birthday announcement, and I'm hoping I'm going to say your last name right, buddy, but uh, I'd like to say happy birthday to Dan Crollo, and you, sir, hopefully this is your week, man, and happy birthday to you, uh, and thanks for being a listener on the show. If you guys have other birthday announcements out there, uh, definitely let me know. So happy birthday, Mr. Crollo. I hope I said your name right. <laughs> you know I'm famous for not pronouncing last names right. Uh, this episode is brought to you by 
Phelps Game Calls, the oldest sponsor on the Western Huntsman podcast, giving them a shout out. And uh, guys, check out the uh, Phelps Game Calls website and you will find your turkey calls, your elk calls, predator calls, there's deer calls, all sorts of calls on the website. They've also got cool t-shirts and hats and swag items and and things that you should check out and support uh, support Phelps Game Calls because they're a hardworking company that uh, does a great job making some of the best calls out there available on the market, hands down. Uh, I wouldn't say that if I didn't sincerely mean that. I want to thank Phelps Game Calls for being a sponsor on the show. And if you go to phelpsgamecalls.com, which will, uh, the link will be in the show notes, obviously. Check out the calls. Again, turkey season's like, it's in some areas, it's open. Uh, for us, it opens like Thursday. And I'm going to be out there on uh, with this black bat from Phelps Game Calls, doing my best to call in a big old gobbler. And you should be too. Especially, uh, you know, turkeys are one of the best ways to get youth involved in hunting. Uh, since we're talking about, we've been talking about youth hunters uh, in the last couple episodes a little bit here and there uh, with this with this contest coming up. But um, that the calls are super. You don't have to sound perfect. You don't have to be like a competition turkey caller. Get you a Phelps game call, whether you're using a diaphragm or you're using like an external call to call in turkeys and go out there and try it out. Uh, if you've never done it before, it's a hell of a time. And Phelps game calls has everything you need to get started this turkey season and when you're there on the website don't forget at checkout to use um gosh i forgot my promo code oh huntsman 10 <laughs> it's uh huntsman 10 for 10 percent off and that will be the link is in the show notes enjoy let me know let me know what you think okay so folks on this episode um this is going to be a little bit more of a serious conversation and uh, you know if you've been listening to this show a long time you know sometimes we're pretty goofy and satire and other times we're serious in this in this case it's it's going to be a uh, a serious conversation about a very serious proposal um and i want you guys to to take what you hear in this episode and really think about it and and be open-minded going into this conversation uh this is going to be with congressman mike simpson of idaho who has made just this wildly huge proposal, right, to breach the four lower Snake River dams uh, in hopes of recovering our wild salmon numbers. And I think it's a really important conversation. It's an it's a very important topic, and it's been something that if you're if you're not familiar with this, uh, that's been going on. It's been litigated. It's been argued. There's been different proposals in the past for, I, I mean, we're talking 30, 40 years. This thing has been going on for decades. And finally, we're at a point where it's like, okay, the salmon are not recovering. I know that there's arguments. Well, back in 2013, there was a great salmon run and, and different arguments along those lines. That aside, guys, the consistent trend that we're seeing from a very fact-based position is our wild salmon are on a trajectory to extinction. Something has to be done. So as we talk about this, I know that this proposal has brought up a lot of uh, arguing and a lot of tension on like social media and different areas where uh, I think a lot of that is born out of some of the, the past arguments that were made that didn't have a lot of teeth in them, if that makes sense. And I'll give you a great example. For me, when I first heard about this proposal, and I'm talking to some of my friends about it, and and you know they're they're all against it because for me I'm I'm kind of re- removed. I'm not a huge steelhead. I'm not a I'm not a huge salmon fisherman, right? I, I'm I'm more of a trout 
uh, trout fishermen and uh, fly fishermen on, on some of the rivers up here where we don't we don't get salmon runs. So that said, I just didn't know a lot about the issue, but I, I listened to some friends, and some of them were against this proposal, some of them were for this proposal, and it, it, they both made these super good arguments. But my initial reaction was, man, this proposal is insane to think to take four dams on the Lower Snake River that are hydroelectric hydroelectric dams and blow them out of the water, basically, <laughs> which is not what's going to happen, by the way. You'll learn that throughout this conversation. And, you know, have to figure out a way to replace that power and replace the shipping methods that the grain farmers and other agricultural industries use to these rivers for uh, just for a bunch of fish. It seemed insane to me. But as I was asking you when I first started this this kind of dialogue, so to speak, is I, I was open minded and, and I, I kind of hit the brakes as to what I was thinking. And I started thinking about, OK, why is this proposal so crazy? Why does it seem so unrealistic? Let's look at the numbers. And I had people telling me, well, we got to deal with the sea lions instead. Or, well, we got to deal with the, the tribal netting going on on the rivers on the lower Columbia. Well, we got to deal with ocean conditions and maybe better ladders or more hatcheries. When you, when you kind of shake all that out, the facts do not support those arguments. They simply don't support those arguments. And I'm saying that from a guy who wanted those arguments to support that argument or that theory, so to speak. They just don't. And so what I'm asking you guys to do is when you're listening to this episode, really think about what's being said from a non-emotional place. Don't worry about which friend said this is a terrible idea versus this friend that said this is a great idea. Take all that out of it. Instead of hearing one person's opinion, especially, you know, a lot of times you can't really verify where the person's opinion actually came from. How do you know that their opinion isn't held because they heard it from somebody else that they might trust that might be talking out of their ass? They don't know what they don't know anything about this salmon issue, just like I didn't six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, whatever that was. I didn't know anything about this issue. So I'm I'm asking from, you know, as, as if, if we were friends, this would be from a friend. I'm asking, try to be open-minded about it. Instead of bitching on Facebook, what are you doing? In, when, when we're talking about the grand scheme of anything conservation or wildlife management-wise, what are you doing? Are you one of those people that just sits around and bitches on Facebook about what the fishing game did? And I don't care what state you're listening to this in. You're bitching about the, the fishing game. They made this decision. You're bitching about the commission for doing that. You're bitching about this. You're bitching about that. I see it all the time. And and I do that too. I'm not, I'm not uh, calling you out on that because I, I bitch about things too, right? I, I'm not, that's, that's at no fault of anybody's. It's, it's our natural tendency, especially on a platform like, like Facebook or Instagram, where there's not really any repercussions as to what can happen by uh, going against somebody you don't even know. So I'm asking in this particular instance and every instance when we're talking about conservation and wildlife management and public lands, what does bitching at people on Facebook accomplish or Instagram or any social media platform? What does it accomplish? What are you doing outside of just bitching? And you know who you are if you are listening to this. You know what, who this is targeted at. There's a lot of people that talk a lot on, on these social media sites, but they do nothing outside of that. What are you doing? Are you doing your own research? 
Are you genuinely looking at these issues from a, an open mind and and somewhere out of uh, a real curiosity to solve problems and have real solid solutions? Are you doing your own research? Are you putting money into conservation organizations? Are you reading legislative proposals? That's another thing. You know, if you if you jump on Congressman Simpson's website and and you actually look at the proposal, a lot of the things that that people I can always tell when somebody's complaining about this proposal that they haven't even read it. They haven't read it. So make sure you're reading it. Are you reading legislative po- proposals? Are you writing your legislatures? Are you attending meetings? Are you emailing the fish and game biologists? Have you called a legislative office? Have you volunteered on a conservation committee or some kind of improvement project? Are you serving on a board that has a conservation or public land kind of uh, you know foundation to it? Are you forming your own nonprofit or other organization? Are you asking the right questions and actually listening to differing opinions? Are, are you visiting habitat areas and question what I mean by that is I've driven the lower Snake River and all the all the dams recently to, to kind of learn this on my own. I, I even drove it uh, on another occasion all the way to Portland on the lower Columbia. Are you asking these questions? Are you are you looking at this from a non-emotional fact-based pragmatic way? Have you tried to sway someone else in a respectful way instead of just some snarky punchline that uh, you know that supports your opinion but you're 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 being so disrespectful everybody just kind of blows it off because that's what most people do and it's it's getting so irritating on Facebook. I got this one friend. I don't know how that guy makes a living. He must post every freaking 10 minutes about the situation in America right now. And and but what is he doing about it? You know, he's he's bitching up a storm about this political thing or that political thing or or these city folks moving to his area. And, and But what is he doing right now? I want you guys to think about that. What are you doing? Are you helping with your voice, with your money or volunteerism or time to hunters facing challenges in other states that don't even affect you? Think about that because when you think they don't affect you, they actually do affect you. I'll give you a great example. I, I put together a couple of episodes for this show when they were doing the I, – I am never going to go bear hunting in California. I mean, never say never, right? But, <laughs> I mean, the 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 chances or the odds of me going to California to hunt bears is slim to none. But I got involved and I helped those hunters in California when that California bear ban came out because that is important. That is the stuff that will spread to places like Idaho and Colorado and Utah and Wyoming and Montana and Arizona and New Mexico and all these other Western states that we all hunt and Washington and Oregon, all those things. Are you doing anything to help hunters and trappers and outdoorsmen in other states fight these ridiculous anti-hunting or anti-trapping pieces of legislation? I guess lastly, are, are you realistically and legitimately trying to understand an issue that removes the sometimes popular opinion or peer pressured opinions while also removing the emotion out of the argument and and coming up with your own opinion that is fact-based, non-emotionally based. We're not anti-hunters around here, right? That's what anti-hunters do. They have emotional arguments. So when it comes to this, this salmon proposal from Congressman Mike Simpson, are you going to be the on the same 
path that like an anti-hunting organization is, is, is going to take on this and just come at it from some emotional place? Or are you actually going to look at the facts of what this proposal presents? Because if you do, you're going to be like me. You're going to be somebody that, that just did, did like a complete 180, where I, I thought this, this proposal was absolute uh, lunacy and unrealistic. And it's going to screw the ratepayers on uh, the, the, the benefit from these hydroelectric dams. It's going to screw the farmers who are trying to transport their product. It's going to screw the shipping companies. It's going to it, all this stuff is going to happen. They're just going to blow these dams out of the way, and all the sediment's going to ruin the rest of the river, and all the habitats not ever going to go back to how it used to be. And we should focus instead on a couple of sea lions in the Columbia River. That's where I went to a point in which I'm at today where if you take all of those emotional based arguments out of the equation of this proposal, you will see that actually everything has been thought about and there is accounting for everything that, that we argue about with this. And so I've changed my opinion and I'm in favor of this proposal and I don't care who knows it. That's all I ask out of you. If you listen to this and you get to the end and you decide that you're still against it, I totally respect that. As long as you had an open mind and you, you really thought about some of the things that we talk about in this episode, I, I respect your opinion either way. What I don't respect is people that just get on Facebook without any information, without any personal research or any freaking clue as to what the facts are on the ground and start ripping each other apart. That's not the place to do that. It's disrespectful, and it doesn't accomplish anything. We need solutions above and beyond just a salmon proposal. We need so many solutions to so many things that affect hunters and anglers that we need to stop getting on Facebook and providing a bunch of snarky punchlines or platitudes that don't achieve anything. They just don't achieve anything. That's my rant for this week, this here Week 2 of April 2021. <laughs> Without further ado, guys, I'd like to welcome Congressman Mike Simpson to the show. Um, he took uh, time out of his busy schedule to jump on on board with me here at the Western Huntsman, and and uh, I think we, we achieved a, a great deal of fact-finding uh, discussions together, and I think that you guys will get a lot out of this if, if you're serious about learning about this issue and serious about taking a stand one way or the other. Uh, this is a great time to start talking about this proposal and understand it. Just understand it. That's all I ask. Guys, I appreciate you tuning in. Um, it's been a great haul this year so far. Uh, we're having a great year in terms of uh, the, the guests and the episodes and the downloads and everything else that uh, we're just really growing, growing rapidly. I uh, appreciate that is thanks to you guys. Thanks to you guys. I appreciate that. Guys, with that said, here's Congressman Mike Simpson. Take care. on the line today on uh, the Western Huntsman podcast, I have Congressman Simpson of Idaho, and uh, we are going to be talking a lot about the the ruckus that has been raised, it seems, lately regarding the salmon proposal, the dam proposal, 
here in Idaho regarding the Lower Snake River dams. We're going to talk a little bit about public land and things of that nature. But before we do that, Congressman Simpson, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, great to have you. Hey, good to be with you, Jim. So I am uh, pretty excited about this conversation because we're going to be coming at this from an angle of which, for for me geographically where I'm at, uh, I'm north of where this this proposal is is mainly focused on, and I I have not spent a lot of time fishing for salmon and steelhead, and and so I guess that's one way of saying I didn't know much about this issue prior to about a month ago. And uh, I think that there's a lot of people in this audience that may not have all the right information or all the facts, and and uh, hopefully we have, have folks joining that are going to have an open mind about this discussion because there's a lot to it. It's a very complicated issue. Um, yes, it is. And very you, complicated. <laughs> it is, yeah. And so I'm I'm glad we were able to connect. We had to kind of do this over. We're doing this over the phone, um, just so folks know, because the uh, the the internet was not cooperating with us. So we're we're doing this the old-fashioned way. So, Congressman. I, let's start out with uh, just a quick kind of bird's eye view. Uh, how long have you been in Congress? Um, and and give us a little bit of your background, and then we'll kind of take the conversation from there. Well, I've been in Congress for tw- this is my twenty third year. Uh, my twelfth term started uh, this this year. Uh, before that, I was uh, in the real world. I was a dentist uh, and grew up in Idaho. Grew up in Southeast Idaho in in Blackfoot, and now live in Idaho Falls. Uh, then I served a term on the Blackfoot city council when I was, uh, when I started practicing dentistry and then I served 14 years in the Idaho legislature and was speaker of the house for the last six years and was actually either going to retire and practice dentistry, uh, full time or, uh, uh, run for governor. And that's when Dirk Kempthorne decided to come back from the Senate and run for governor. And Mike Crapo moved over to the Senate and it opened up the congressional seat that I now sit in. And so I decided to run for Congress and have been there ever since. Wow. So can you still do a root canal? Uh, I don't know that you'd want uh, me in your mouth. Uh, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't practiced dentistry for uh, 23 years now. I, I think you'd want uh, me to, to get my hands back into it before I worked on anybody. <laughs> have, have some guinea pigs before I come over. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, one thing that I will say, Congressman, uh, from, from our standpoint, um, I, I kind of want to start the conversation from, from this kind of foundation. Uh, I, I am very much a conservative, and I'm, I'm, I've been very disappointed with how some Republicans behave in terms of public land. And then we have you, who kind of sets yourself apart from maybe going against the grain on, on that issue. And, uh, you, you know, you kind of headed up the Great American Outdoors Act. Uh, that was a that was a big deal. That was a huge win for outdoorsmen and, and anybody that enjoys public lands. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, and I don't get to say that a lot about some, some of our, our leadership in coming out of DC. And so can you kind of talk about that and what, what your thoughts on public land are? Sure. When you live in a state like Idaho, the 64% federal land, uh, access to those public lands is very important. Most people live in Idaho because we like our environment. We like to go out and recreate or hunt or fish or whatever, uh, on our public lands, which means you have to have access to those public lands. The Great American Outdoors Act, uh, which permanently funds the Land and Water Conservation Fund, it does uh, funding to address the backlog in our national parks and uh, and uh, historical areas and, and those types of things. 
I think is probably the best piece of, uh, of uh, environmental legislation that's probably passed since the Wilderness Act uh, mm-hmm. to preserve our public lands. And, and as you said, as I said, uh, if you if you don't have access to those public lands, then they're kind of meaningless, you know. If you're a yeah. if you're a hunter and outdoorsman, so the the main focus of the of the Great American Outdoors Act was actually the to increase access and maintain access for uh, people that like to recreate, whether it's just hiking or whether it's hunting or fishing or other snow machining or whatever in our, on our public lands. So I, I think it was a great piece of legislation. It actually started as a bill that I introduced a few years uh, before it passed uh, called the lands act. And then uh, when the Senate decided to take it up, they actually added a few things to it, made it better than my Lands Act was. But it was the Lands Act that I had introduced was the basis for the Great American Outdoors Act. So I was very proud to be a part of that and making sure that it got passed. Yeah, and and, and it is a great piece of legislation. And it, so I, I want to how why are Republicans some of our Republican friends out there that when we're talking on the public lands issue, uh. Why do we struggle on on this side of the aisle with with public land so much? Do you do you have a take on that or? Well, you know, uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund. The former chairman of the of the Resources Committee, uh, Rob Bishop from Utah, good friend of mine. We used to have discussions uh, about that, and and he viewed the Land and Water Conservation Fund is just being able for the federal government to uh, buy more land in the West. And he thought the federal government owned enough land in the West and, and uh, in fact, uh, thought that the state should own more and the federal government should own less. So he was opposed to the Land and Water Conservation Fund being permanently funded. But when you look at what the Land and Water Conservation Fund does in preserving access and, yes, buying in holdings, that's where they usually uh, purchase uh, purchase land, the federal government. Uh, like we had a $25 million or I think it was $25 million uh, acreage within uh, Grand Teton National Park that was privately owned. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the owner, it was either develop it or get rid of it, you know, or, or sell it to, to the Land and Water Conservation Fund, uh, which uh, made sense. That's an inholding. And so that's where most of the Land and Water Conservation Fund goes. When people uh, like Rob complain about the LWCF, I always tell them, come and float the South Fork of the Snake River with me, and you'll go through the canyons here, and you'll see what the Land and Water Conservation Fund has done in preserving that uh, that canyon so that people can fish there and, and enjoy it. It's the largest stand of cottonwoods, uh, I think, in the United States. It's beautiful. Uh, Beautiful territory. I could, if I, you know, if I could, I'd just float it every day. But yeah, uh, yeah. if that, if that was not there and not preserved, what you'd have is a whole bunch of cabins all the way up and down that uh, that canyon. And I know that because I'd own one of them. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting. Uh, with I don't know on that subject, you know, for me, a guy that so I'm in North Idaho, right? And and my district right. representative. Um, he frankly doesn't have my vote because he's not good on public land. 
and and he's he won't talk about it and and so this this is like a a straw that broke the camel's back type kind of issue for me and yeah. I, I only have a few of those and it's it was what makes it super interesting and it, with a lot of you know these folks like uh, like Mike Lee and Rob Bishop and and Ted Cruz and and these individuals that I agree with 98 percent of the time it's that two percent on public land that kills it because for me yeah. that's that's as big of an issue as like the Second Amendment um, or or other big issues issues that we that we enjoy uh, or, or take advantage of as Americans that that a lot of people they just drop the ball on this this public land issue and I, I I'm hoping I feel like there's a there's a shift coming with that and it's 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 starting to kind of register with some Republican leaders where the public lands issue is a big deal for a lot of Republicans and a lot of Republicans want nothing to do with the states taking over the land because that means we don't own it anymore um, yeah yeah. Uh, you know, I think you're I think you're right. And I was I, I'll relay an interesting conversation I had uh, several years ago back when Hurricane Katrina hit and we were looking for uh, the money to to uh, pay for Hurricane Katrina and stuff. And one of my Texas colleagues, who was a friend of mine, uh, came up to me and said, hey, I know how we can play pay for Hurricane Katrina. And I said, how's that? And he said, let's just sell those public lands in the West. And of course, he comes from Texas that has essentially no public land. I know it's like less than five percent. And so, if you want to hunt in Texas, you go out on an organized hunt at a at a preserve, you know, where they stake out a antelope and say, "There it is, shoot it," you know. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's not like it's not like in the West. So I told him, "Listen, you take care of Texas. Let us take care of Idaho." <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that <laughs> because I I that's and I've said this on the show many times. I do not want to be like Texas, and I love my friends in Texas, and we have a lot of listeners in Texas. So this isn't yeah. this isn't uh, talking negatively about Texas in any way, other than to say I don't want Idaho to become Texas, where I have to pay thousands of dollars to go deer hunt. Uh, yeah, it, it, that's, that's just crazy. Issue. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's totally crazy. Yep. So, and the well, other thing that I'm that I get frustrated by is when we have some Texans come up, and this has happened. Uh, and again, I love Texas too. I love the representatives from there. They're all good friends. But when we have a couple come up and buy uh, thousands of acres in Idaho and then deny access to people's favorite hunting grounds that used yeah. to be able to traverse across the, that area. And what they don't understand in, in Idaho, when you deny that access that they've had for years, that doesn't mean that you just go around the property. Sometimes it means you have to go to another state and back across the mountains to your favorite hitting, uh, hunting grounds and stuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Either that or a helicopter. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's been an issue we've had, we've had, they, they, they cut off the access to the public yeah. land and it's like, what the, what's the point of having public land if there's no, like you said earlier. If you can't yep. access it, so yeah, major yep. issues. We could we could have uh, Congressman. We could do like two or three different podcasts on the on these topics. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we sure could. Uh, so for sure, I I know we should probably shift gears because the the biggest thing that um or, or I guess the reason why I reached out and I appreciate uh, you agreeing to come on um, is this energy and salmon concept. And this is essentially the proposal, and I want to make that distinction. It's important that people understand this is not yet a bill. This is a proposal, and uh, this is going to be essentially based around the lower Snake River dams and uh, breaching those dams uh, in an effort to kind of change the habitat and create better salmon uh, habitat and, and bring prevent our salmon from becoming extinct because that's the trajectory they're, they're on now. 
Right. Um, can you give us in a nutshell the, the concept of the proposal um, and, and how, how this thing kind of came about? Sure. Uh, as nutshell as I can, it's so complicated <laughs> that, uh, that that's hard, but I'll, t- I'll try. Uh, this started actually trying to help the Bonneville Power Administration uh, that's facing some financial challenges. And one of those is the endless lawsuits that they face every time there's a buy-op or a dam gets relicensed or something like that. There's endless lawsuits, and we spend millions in court instead of out uh, uh, doing the work necessary to restore salmon runs and other things. And so we said, how do you end the lawsuits? Well, you end the lawsuits by doing what's necessary to restore Idaho salmon runs. And right now, they're, as you mentioned, they're on the path to extinction, uh, the four Idaho salmon runs. Uh, we got the best habitat in the Pacific Northwest and the upper uh, Salmon Valley in the, in the Salmon River and the uh, Stanley Basin and so forth. It is prime habitat for these salmon, and they are the marathoners of all salmon. They travel 900 miles to get to this place and uh, uh, go a mile and a third in altitude gain as they do that to spawn where they were where they were spawned. Uh, so we talked to fish biologists from all over the Pacific Northwest, and two of one uh, that we had talked to, every one of them said the only way you're going to restore Idaho salmon runs is to breach the Lower Snake River dams or to bypass the Lower Snake River dams. And I will tell you that that's a tough decision to make. Uh, It's been suggested before, and in fact, when it was first suggested and I was in the state legislature, I kind of started to laugh because I said, we're not going to do that. So we got to try everything else first. Well, it's 25 years later, and guess what? We have tried everything else, and the salmon numbers continue to decline. What they tell me is that you've got probably maybe four cycles of salmon, which is about 20 years, before those runs go extinct. Uh, I don't want that to happen. Uh, I think we ought to be doing everything we can to restore Idaho salmon and steelhead uh, runs uh, to, to Idaho. And when I look at the cost of those dams versus uh, the benefits to Idaho, particularly in southern Idaho here, uh, you know, we, fent, we send 487,000 acre feet of Idaho water down the river every year. That's water that's not available for irrigation, for recharging our aquifer or other things in order to flush salmon over these dams that are in Washington. Mm-hmm. And the one thing it's not doing is restoring salmon runs. So we pay that cost. Plus, we pay the cost of losing uh, our salmon runs, which are a huge economic and environmental benefit to, to Idaho. So uh, we decided that the only way you're going to restore those runs is to remove the dams. And if you're going to do remove the dams, there's a consequence to that because those dams have a value. And a large part of this concept that we've come up with is trying to make the stakeholders whole. How do you have a different transportation system to get grain uh, to Portland instead of barging? Uh, how do you replace the energy that uh, that uh, uh, those dams produce? How do you how do you compensate the people in Washington, the farmers in Washington that that uh, pump out of those those reservoirs behind the, the those uh, Lower Snake River dams? You'd you'd have to uh, give them the resources to be able to reconfigure their their pumping uh, uh, to a lower lowered obviously Snake River and stuff. So yeah, it it brings up a lot of issues that uh, that uh, need to be addressed, and that's what this concept is about, and why we put it out as a concept because we need input from people. Uh, if we're going to design our own future, or whether it's going to be designed for us. Uh, we need input from people on the challenges that uh, that this would present and how we would address them. And that's kind of where we are right now is asking for input from people. And as you would expect, there are the hell no, never, uh, we'll never remove those dams people, which I understand, like I say, 25 years ago, that's where I was. 
mm-hmm. but uh, and then there are some people that are starting to think, well, you know, that Simpson's right about designing the future and looking down the road 25 to 50 years of what do we want the Pacific Northwest to look like and be. Uh, and so it's an interesting conversation that, that's happening right now. Some people ask why I kicked this hornet's nest, and believe me, it is a hornet's nest. <laughs> <laughs> it is, definitely. I've, I, I mean, just the uh, the fallout on social media I've seen has been uh, eye-opening. And, and so – you know that said what you said about you know 25 years ago you you would have you laughed at this type of kind of you know proposal or whatever uh i don't know four six weeks ago when i first saw this thing come out i was that guy as well and a lot of this was was kind of out of ignorance on my part because i didn't know a lot about the issue the more i have spent uh in terms of you know putting my own research into it and knowing what the facts are and knowing what the 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 solutions that have been tried in the past that have failed versus what solutions are left and available and on the table, um, I have kind of done and, and a lot of this is thanks to Brian Brooks over at the Idaho Wildlife Federation. You know, I I just didn't know much about the uh, the proposal and and just the thought of it seemed crazy to me. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm I'm looking at this and and to me it's it's the only viable option. And I, can you explain? Uh, you'd mentioned, you know, why are you kicking the hornet's nest now? Why are you kicking the hornet's nest now? What is significant about the timing of this? Well, two things. One is that I don't think we have that much longer uh, to uh, to do what's necessary to save these salmon. As I said, about four cycles, five years a cycle of uh, salmon. So, uh, the fish biologists tell me you got about uh, four cycles before they go extinct, which is 20 years. Mm. Even under our proposal, the dams don't come out till 2030. That would be half that cycle. Yeah. So we need to start thinking about it now. Should have been thinking about it 10 years ago. But as you know, those of us in politics are really good about uh, stating a problem and how we want to solve it and all that kind of stuff. But then when you have to make the tough decisions that uh, that are uh, challenging and challenge you politically, uh, we're good at walking away from those too. Yeah. And the challenge is that there are so many different factors that affect salmon, whether it's ocean conditions that have been changing and they change every about 30 years, the Pacific decadial oscillation, salmon runs go down and then they come back up when that oscillation goes south and so forth. Uh, whether it's predators, which we are addressing, whether it's harvest, which we are addressing, all of those types of things. And what I tell people is, listen, if you've got a better way to save salmon, something that hasn't been tried, let me know. Uh, call me and tell me. And uh, uh, that's that's the challenge. It, and that's where we were. We were mm-hmm. saying, God, there's got to be a way to save these salmon runs without taking these dams out. But alas, we have tried everything. Uh, we've had like 25 different collaborative groups over the last 30 or 40 years trying to address this issue. And uh, it just hasn't worked. Well, and okay, so you're you're bringing up a lot here, and I want to I want to I want to address a lot of these key points and a lot of these arguments against this proposal, uh, okay. because I, I think a lot of it is is just like I was, you know, a month and a half ago or so. Um, but let's start with you know what really started changing my mindset on this was when we look at the tributaries that are kind of below the R four dams, the Lower Snake River dams on the Columbia, going out on the on the Washington Oregon side, those right. four dams on that side. And the the saw rates, uh, the the smolt to adult return on these salmon, is you know anywhere from three and a half to six percent, varying you know depending on what tributary we're talking about, right? 
Right. It's when they get to Idaho that the the smolt to adult return, the the, the SAR rate drops dramatically, and I think it's like below one percent. Um, yeah. It's it, about 0.8%. Okay, and so on that topic, uh, just so the audience knows, in order to maintain the 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 current numbers, the population, just to maintain it, I th- am I correct in saying it? That's got to be about two percent. Yep. It's and in about two percent. In order to grow the population, it needs to be above the two percent, ideally between four and six percent. Right. And that's what they're seeing on the Oregon and Washington side and all those tributaries. Right. However, once you cross over onto onto the Idaho side on the Lower Snake River, those four dams is the only uh, section of of these these rivers and tributaries that, ma- that make up the the Columbia River Basin uh, that are suffering and below one percent. That is a trajectory towards extinction. And so that's Absolutely. a that's a super significant point that I, I think a lot of people miss. They you know yeah, we, go ahead. It it is, and the interesting thing is is that you know as I said there are so many things that affect salmon runs that it gives everybody the ability to point to something else. No, mm-hmm. it's not the dams. It's the it's the ocean conditions. No, it's not the ocean conditions. It's the predators. And so that you know you can always point to something else, and they do that. And I tell them listen. Idaho salmon, just like those that go into the John Day drainage or into the Yakima Valley drainage that only passed over the four dams on the lower Columbia River, Idaho salmon passed those four same dams, and the SARS rate of all of those uh, all of those runs are above what's necessary to maintain the runs. In fact, some of them are very healthy runs. Mm-hmm. Only only Idaho salmon have to cross the next four dams, and that SARS rate drops to extinction levels, 0.8%. And so that's the only difference Idaho salmon have is that they have to pass four more dams. And frankly, eight dams is just too many. Pardon the interruption, but we got to talk about the show sponsors because they're the ones that make this show possible. I want to start with Scree gear. Scree is extreme mountain gear. It's high performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company. And I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't fully believe in it. I've I've run the Scree for a couple of seasons now, and I tell you what, if you want to compare the the quality and the durability and the effectiveness of this gear. Go for it because you're going to find that you're not going to drop a fortune and you're still getting all the benefits of what you can see out there with in terms of high-end gear. They offer a complete layering system for all terrains, for all conditions. It's gear designed to adapt to the weather. It's rugged. It's backed by a lifetime guarantee uh, and warranty. And what I really like about it is the VIP sizing and exchange program. So basically, if you order the hard scrabble pants and you get them and they, they show up and they're not fitting right... You just send them right back for free because they send you the return slip label that you just throw on your packaging and send it back. It doesn't cost you anything, and they replace it with a better size for you. So Scree Gear, check them out. And don't forget, at the checkout, use promo code THEWESTERNHUNTSMAN for 15% off and free shipping. Heck of a deal. Great company. Great gear. All right. Moving on to Tacticam. Guys, Tacticam is our newest sponsor, and I'm really excited about having them on board. If you've ever wanted to film your hunts and have specific and unique, like, point-of-view type kind of angles, the Tacticam is the way to go. It can connect to your bow. It can connect to your rifle. They've got the film through scope. Uh, make sure you're checking regulations on all of that in, because that changes in every state. 
but I film in Idaho when I'm hunting and I have the Tacticam attached both to a head harness and a shoulder harness as well as like this flex mount thing so I can I can get multiple angles as I'm calling in a screaming bull elk and get it all on camera. The gear is great and they also have other cool packages like the Reveal game camera. It's a cell cam so you can set that up if you're managing whitetail property or something like that. It's perfect because it texts you in real time when pictures are coming in. The other thing that I really like from Tacticam is their new fisheye camera. For you fishermen out there, when you're trying to get that uh, that that perfect coverage of, of filming your fishing trip, man, this thing is badass. It like it gets the whole wide angle of it, and you can control all of these cameras through an app on your phone in real time. Zoom in, hit record, zoom out, pause it, stop it, all the things right there in your app in real time. Great sound quality, 4K video recording. Get you a Tacticam. And I heard a rumor that we're going to have one hell of a giveaway coming up on the show for some Tacticam gear. So stay tuned for that. Go to Tacticam.com and check it out. Last, but certainly not least, I want to talk about Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots are high-quality, high-end, great-traction, rugged mountain boots that you need. Every hunter needs a good set of boots. And you could really drop a fortune on great boots, but the Hoffmans are going to give you everything that you can get, just like what, what I was talking about with Scree Gear, without breaking the bank. That's what I love about the Hoffmans. If there's one thing you don't want to chintz out on, it's great quality hunting boots. You've seen them. They've been up there hunting. People that chintz out on their hunting boots, and they're slipping and sliding all the way down the mountain. The sole's coming off. They've got everything. Their, their feet are soaked. All that is going to be prevented with a great pair of Hoffmans. I run the Hoffman 8-inch Explorers. It's a great boot, and I could personally vouch for that. But they've also got another great product called the Summit, uh, and that's another popular boot out there. Got the Explorers in insulated, non-insulated, 6-inch, 8-inch, and just check out Hoffman.com, and you can, or I'm sorry, HoffmanBoots.com. And uh, you will be able to kind of pick out all this, all the different options and, and things like that. They've got a great warranty, uh, great company. Jim Hoffman, the owner, is a great dude. Uh, and at checkout, don't forget to use promo code HUNTSMAN10, all caps lock, for 10% off. Enjoy it. Let's get back to the show. And so, and, and that eliminates the, the argument that, yeah. you know, what, one of the arguments I've heard is, well, the sea lions are eating all the all the fish, and that's why they're not. Well, if that were the case, why are they so healthy on the Washington, Oregon side, and not not so much on the Idaho side? And so, can yeah. can I can I bring up some of those arguments, and, and we could talk about those kind of as I've heard those. Sure. You sure. mentioned ocean harvest and and ocean conditions. Um, a lot of a lot of folks they're going to respond. Well, we need to deal with the ocean conditions first and the ocean harvest uh, numbers first. How do you respond to that? Ocean harvest is something that has to be taken into consideration, and you have to look at what the treaties are with Canada and with other foreign nations and stuff, and we need to enforce those treaties, frankly. Uh, the problem is is that when salmon come into the Columbia River, you don't know if they're uh, salmon bound for Idaho or whether salmon bound for the John Day drainage or they're salmon bound for the Yakima drainage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're just salmon that enter the river. And uh, But we have to do a better job of, uh, of enforcing our treaty uh, negotiations with Canada and with other foreign nations that, that uh, fish offshore and stuff. And uh, I know that's something that, uh, that we continue to work on and do a better job than we have in the past, but we could still do a better job. Okay. The next one would be uh, 
sea lions and other predators uh, taking out large numbers. Um, I, I have the stat on that. Well, why don't, what's your answer to that? Well, the sea lions, uh, they don't just attack Idaho salmon. They attack all salmon. They don't discriminate yeah, against the Idahoans? No, they, uh, <laughs> they don't know one salmon from another, but they just eat them. And we have uh, put in place some predator control. We're actually uh, uh, killing off some of the, some of the uh, predators in the, uh, in the uh, mouth of the Columbia, the sea lions. We need to do more with the terns that eat the, the uh, uh, smolts as they go down and out to the ocean and stuff. Uh, and we could do that and probably will do that and should. Uh, the other challenge is, is that you have, uh, uh, with those dams in place, it, you know, it's almost a misnomer to call the Lower Snake River a river, because what it is is a series of pools behind these dams. And that slows the salmon smolts from getting to the ocean. It takes about three times as long for a smolt to get to the ocean today as it used to without those dams. Mm-hmm. And that means they're in warmer waters in waters that don't have the current to flush them like they, the, the uh, open river does. Uh, so they, they're they more susceptible to predators within uh, those, those pools of water. And there are other fish that eat these smolts and stuff. So we've made them much more susceptible to, uh, to uh, predators. And as I said, warmer waters and the fact that it takes so long to get to the ocean that is just damaging to them. So all of those things are factors. Uh, but the only one, that, the only way you're going to speed up the, the, the rate of return of the smolts going to the ocean, uh, or the downward passage of the smolts going to the ocean is to remove those lower snake dams. So what about the, one of the big arguments I've heard is, you know, back in 2012, 2013, we had these great salmon runs despite all these issues with the dams. Can you speak to that? Sure. Salmon runs go up and down. No doubt about it. Uh, and the problem is, is if you look at the trajectory, the trajectory of Idaho salmon runs are headed toward the ditch. They're, they're going toward extinction. I don't think there's anybody that doubts that. If you look at the, as we talked about the SARS rate and yep. other things, and, the, and that's how you measure a healthy run. Uh, and you know, some people will say, well, you know what? Uh, even rivers that don't have dams on them, like the Fraser river right now in, in uh, British Columbia, their salmon runs are down. That's absolutely true. Uh, the difference is, is their salmon runs fall from a level that is substantial to one that is still healthy, but yeah, they're down. Ours on the salmon river, uh, or on the snake river salmon, when our levels fall, they go from a, a, uh, level that is unsustainable to one that is almost extinction level. And that's what's happening now. But that the cadial oscillation in the ocean that comes about every 30 years and uh, warm water comes up from the equator and uh, there's more competitors for food and there's less food for the, the salmon and so forth. Uh, but that reverses itself and uh, it goes back south again and salmon runs come back. So, you know, the argument that, well, yeah, there's even down salmon runs on uh, rivers that don't have any dams is not an argument that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. What is, and I agree that because the facts actually back that up and I'm, I'm trying to pull up the stat I had, but I, when you, when you, when we're talking about the arguments that I, that I'm making here, uh, and this is just basically based on what I've seen people making arguments on, right? Um, sure. We've got, we've got this myriad of, of, of ideas. It's, it's the ocean conditions. It's the sea lions. It's tribal netting. It's, uh, the fish ladders maybe need to be improved, uh, or we're not doing enough hatchery production, 
um, all these things that, um, that we're talking about, do you know off the top of your head, uh, when you combine all those issues outside of the dam issue, is that is there a, a number or a percentage of what is affecting our salmon return? Let's talk first about hatcheries. Uh, all the time we were putting these dams in, everybody said, don't worry about salmon runs because we'll just do hatchery fish. What we find out is hatchery fish are not really the replacement for wild salmon. Uh, first of all, they're they're uh, they're uh, raised in more confined conditions, more disease, that type of stuff, and they'll transmit that disease to wild salmon, which is damaging to wild salmon runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, salmon uh, hatcheries are not the uh, not the answer uh, to save Idaho's wild salmon runs. Uh, what was some of the other? Uh, we have okay. We've the fish ladders. Um, I've I've heard that argument. Well, why can't we make better fish ladders? The fish ladders we have today are better than they used to be. The turbines we have in the in the dams are better than they used to be. It used to be we we lost about fifteen percent of the smolts going down the river uh, in the turbines and stuff. And that's as they tell me, it's probably five to seven percent we lose now. But that's five to seven percent at every dam. Mm-hmm. So by the time you pass eight dams, that's a huge number of uh, of salmon that have been affected, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tribal netting, what about that? Uh, you know, the excuse since the 1800s uh, when we worried about dams was uh, the tribes. Uh, they take too many, or they sell them out of pickups in the back, of, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When you look at the history of it, the people who respect these salmon more than anybody – are Native American tribes. This is part of their culture, their history, their religion. Uh, they want to save these salmon runs more than anybody else, and they have substantially, I mean substantially reduced uh, reduced their take of salmon uh, in order to, ha- to help try to preserve them. Uh, in fact, they are entitled by a court decision that was I, early 1900s or so uh, to half of the production of the salmon. Uh, they, they're entitled to half of that. Yeah. And uh, they don't take anywhere near that amount. And uh, the argument about tribes is just one that's, that has been a false argument for years. One important point that I kind of want to make because I, I kind of want to transition into, you know, some of the other factors that uh, the implications of, of removing the dams, breaching the dams, which which, by the way, we're not we're not talking about removing the physical concrete dam portions. Right. I mean, we're just talking about. Yeah. But before we go there, um when as i've gone through this research and i i've been i've been studying this like crazy and we're talking about things like the netting and and the sea lions and the other predation and even uh some of the uh the, the hatchery productions and water conditions in the ocean and all these things all those account for a very small portion of of the effect to idaho salmon right yeah um yeah and and, and the you, proof have, and to you that, have to remember well you have to remember that all of those conditions affect not just Idaho salmon, but all of the salmon runs. Yes. And yet the other salmon runs, that we, as we talked about earlier, uh, that just go over the lower four Columbia dams are doing fine. Exactly. It's the ones that are coming to Idaho that are not. And that's that's the point I was making. When you when you look at the, the Yakima River wild steelhead, 2002 to 2016, they're at a SAR rate of 4.0. Uh, wild Chinook, 2.5%. John Day, 5.0%. Wild Chinook is 3.6%. Uh, the Deschetes, 5.0%. And then you come over to the Idaho side, Snake River, 
the stillhead is 1.4%, which is not sustainable, and the uh, the Chinook is 0.7%, which is going to be that's the, the, essentially both of those are extinction level rates. So those right. those stats, those facts right there, are are what took me from this proposal is crazy to this proposal is what needs to happen because I like I liked what you said. I listened to. Um, uh, well, in full disclosure, I didn't finish it yet, but I did listen to your interview with Steve on the Meat Eater, and uh, one of the things that was was, I, I guess it doesn't get brought up enough, but what are the implications if we don't do anything? I, meaning, how will this play out in your mind in the future if we do nothing right now? If we do nothing right now, uh, it will be done for us <laughs> at some point in time. The uh, Endangered Species Act pretty much trumps everything else, and I understand why that is. It's because once a, st- once a, a species goes extinct, there's you know only God can recover it, uh, and uh, and so a judge is very uh, insistent that uh, you do everything you can to prevent that extinction, and so uh, I'm worried about what a judge's decision will do. Now it is, and this is. Uh, in in some uh, controversy, whether it's true or not, that only Congress can order the removal of a dam, that a judge can't do it. Uh, some people have said, well, that's not necessarily true, but I don't know. But what a judge can do is make it so expensive to keep the dams by ordering additional spills, by ordering uh, uh, drawdowns and those types of things that you just look at it and go, this doesn't make sense to keep these dams here. And I'm afraid that's what a judge is going to do. Two years ago, uh, the judge ordered an additional 40,000 acre feet of water be spilled. That's water that ultimately came out of Idaho because that's where all the water that goes over these dams comes from. Uh, that was 40,000 acre feet. That was $40 million that cost the BPA and lost production. That's $40 million that BPA ratepayers paid all to, to, to flush, uh, uh, smolt over these dams in addition to the 487,000 acre feet we send down there now. So I don't know what a judge is going to decide, but I would rather have us determine what our future is going to be uh, rather than have a judge decide it. And believe me, a judge can decide it for us. Yep. Yep. I, I definitely agree with that. Okay. So let's, let's transition to some of the implications here because I, I know that that's what's creating a lot of the fuss uh, about this. It, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, shipping on on the rivers now. The grain, how are we going to ship the grain? Um, what uh, what about replacing power and and uh, all these things that are that are factors, and and some of these are very emotionally based. Uh, yes, you, you know, we're talking about how it's going to affect the Idaho uh, ag industry and and the the you know every, everything that's involved in this. So I want to kind of go through those like we did with some of the issues on um you know with with this the salmon sure um industry wise what from my perspective what this would affect is is agriculture uh the power uh shipping and recreation am i missing anything do you think no i think that pretty much covers them uh Okay. Which one do you Which one do you want to talk about first? <laughs> well, let's let's start with uh, I think a sensitive uh, aspect of this is going to be our agriculture because we I, I and from my perspective I always feel like our ag folks are always just getting hammered and railed by this legislation or that legislation and and there's a lot of decisions that 
are made that uh, that affect them without much thought put into them. And I feel yep. like in this case, with this proposal, there was a lot of thought put into the agricultural part, but people aren't seeing that. So can we talk about the ag, ag front? Sure. Over the years, my thir- 23 years in Congress, uh, I have been probably the number one supporter of agriculture and trying to make sure they're sustainable and healthy uh, into the future. And if I thought for a second that this would hurt Idaho agriculture, I would drop it in a heartbeat. And I, I've, I've, this, I would vouch for that because I've heard that you are referred to as the ag guy in Congress. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is, it's obviously an important industry in Idaho. And, uh, and, uh, I've got a great many friends in the agricultural industry, but removing the dams, uh, you remove the barging capabilities. That's the cheapest way to get grain, particularly from the Palouse. Uh, down here in Southern Idaho, most of our grain goes down to, uh, to Ogden and is gone by, uh, truck and stuff. We don't mm-hmm. really uh, send grain up to Lewiston to be barged, but in the Palouse area, that's all dry farm. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, water is not the, that important issue uh, to them, except for that falls from the sky. And uh, and uh, so pumping rates is not uh, and electrical rates is not that big of an issue uh, to them. It's getting the grain uh, to Portland. Barging is the cheapest way to do it. I refuse to believe that we can't find another way to get grain to Portland, that we're not smart enough to figure this out. And what we do in our proposal, and this is just a concept that we came up with, is you put $3.6 billion into a trust fund that's administered by the Departments of Agriculture in Idaho, Oregon, and and Washington, uh, and overseen by a board of producers, uh, and uh, you subsidize grain uh, shipments to Portland, and people say well, we don't want to be subsidizing grain shipments, but you know what? Barging is being shipped is being sub uh, uh, subsidized uh, subsidized today also. Isn't because they don't aren't the dams subsidized as well? Sure. Yeah. Uh, we we appropriate money every year for their operations in the Army Corps of Engineers budget. I know because I'm on the subcommittee and was chairman of it when we were in the majority uh, that does that. So, so it's subsidized today, but we can shift. We can get. We can find alternative ways to do that. But change is difficult, and I understand that uh, for the people in the Pacific Northwest, in, in particularly in North Idaho and uh, on the Palouse. And but if we sit down and put our heads together, we can figure this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard somebody. So I don't know if it was you or somebody else was saying, you know, this is the country that, uh, you know, we won World War II. We put a man on the moon. I mean, why can't we save these salmon while without uh, taking a huge hit to our industries that that support it? Um, yeah. So I want to I want to go back to the subsidies thing because I, I know that that's a big issue where it's like, oh well, we're going to add this subsidy to this industry kind of thing, but we we currently subsidize the dams. And so essentially Absolutely. that subsidy would end and it would transfer to the to the agricultural uh, industry. I, essentially, I'm kind of going blank here <laughs> into, into the transportation of agricultural into the, transportation into agricultural products. So it's right. kind of a, a, a moot point, in, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. We can find a different way to do it. There's no doubt about it. We're smart enough to do that. Uh, you know, we put a man on the moon. We can certainly, uh, we can certainly figure out how to get uh, grain to Portland. Uh, and per individual producer, I think we can actually get it to Portland cheaper than it is today. Yeah, on that on that topic, when we're talking about shipping down down the Columbia, um, 
I, I know that overall the shipping has dropped somewhere in the neighborhood of, of like 75%, and the grain is like the only thing still being shipped in, in any kind of mass scale. Is that correct? Yeah, grain is the primary uh, primary shipping commodity. There are some fertilizers and a few other things that come up the river and stuff, but grain is they, they ship 95 million bushels of grain down the river by barge every year. Uh, that's a substantial amount. You'd be putting uh, trucks or trains on the tracks or on the roads to, to uh, uh, replace that, and consequently you would have to uh, make sure that you had the, the infrastructure for those rails or uh, on those roads to ship the, ship the grain by those means. Some people have suggested, well, you're going to, you know, the carbon footprint that you're going to increase with trucks or trains on the road rather than barges that, that, are, that use, put very little carbon into the air. Uh, is just too much, you know. But I will tell you, uh, in the people that I've talked to over the next uh, 10 years, 15 years, what's going to happen in battery technology and so forth, I'm not sure you're going to see a lot of diesel trucks on the road anymore. Uh, well, the problem, the it, problem right now is that the initial cost of a truck is so expensive that it it's prohibitive for people to get into it. But the, even with mm-hmm. that, the lifespan of a truck uh, using batteries is actually about the operational cost about 50% of what it costs a diesel today. And as I talk to the battery people, they tell me that it's, it's amazing what's going to happen over the next 10 years. Interesting. Okay. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't really put that one together. Isn't, isn't shipping by rail like the most environmentally friendly way to ship products or am I, am I off base with that? Well, barging is probably cheaper and more environmentally friendly than, uh, than, uh, shipping by rail, if you don't count the fact that barging kills all our salmon. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, and and it would continue from Lewiston on down, wouldn't it? The the shipping on the river. Yes, that, it, for, it, the shipping on the river from the Tri Cities to Portland would still continue. Okay. In fact, we can put more. We can. We have a plan actually uh, for the bargers increases their traffic from the Lewiston from uh, the Tri Cities to Portland uh, above what they're shipping now. So you know. We're, you know, again, I got to tell you, American people are smart enough to figure this out. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, Let, let's talk about the power part, the the, the aspect of the the hydro dams that uh, the, how much power they generate and and how that is replaced um, without costing, you know, the how much power is costing Idahoans. Uh, you know, power utility costs are just always going up. It seems like, and so, but but when we're looking at this, I think that that's a that's one of the main reactions is, well, what's my power bill going to look like if we get rid of the hydroelectric on these dams? And that's a, a concern of uh, a lot of the rural electrics that use Bonneville Power Administration. But you know, as I said earlier in the program, uh, Idaho gets about eight percent of the power produced by those dams. Not a large percentage uh, of that power. Most of it goes to the state of Washington to their PUDs and other other uh, uh, organizations and stuff. So uh, if you if but if you're going to remove those dams, that's three thousand potentially three thousand megawatts of power that they produce. Uh, normally, it's about fifteen to eighteen hundred megawatts that they produce, but they have the capacity for three thousand. So you're going to have to replace that. It's going to have to be with firm power. That's power that you can ramp up and ramp down as the demand uh, uh, is there. And you can do that with dams. And hydropower is clean energy. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You're going to have to replace it with other forms of clean energy. Uh, people say, well, wind and solar isn't going to cover it. That's not what really what I'm talking about. Uh, small modular reactors. In fact, they just awarded a contract to the to the Tri-Cities, to the Hanford Reservation to work on uh, X Generation's new uh, project of, uh, of a 
power plant that uh, nuclear power plant that produces 300 megawatts of power. Uh, so, you know, I've suggested you put small modular reactors, put a six pack of them at the Hanford nuclear reservation today, and you could replace the power of those dams. But there are other alternatives even to that. The, uh, the four dams or all eight dams? All, all four dams. Okay. Okay. On the lower uh, side. Yeah. And what you do, uh, uh, or there's also things like pump storage. Uh, you saw what happened in Texas with wind and solar and that's another story we could talk about, but <laughs> yes, it is. Even Elon Musk is going down to uh, uh, southern Texas to Houston, and they're looking at a battery park. Uh, and uh, he tells us that the technology and batteries. Is, the challenge right now is that you can only store power that's produced by wind and solar for about four hours. He said that's going to increase manyfold uh, with the technology that's coming out. So you're going to see more battery parks and things like that. And guess which laboratory? does the most research uh, on battery technology is the lead uh, laboratory, PNNL at Hanford. So, you know, it's all set up right together there to, to uh, be able to replace this, uh, replace this power. But it does take some money. And what we do is give uh, the Bonneville Power Administration $10 billion for power replacement, uh, whether it's through SMRs, whether it's through pump storage or any other facility. But, you know, that brings up one other interesting thing and when you say the the power of all eight dams and so forth the question is how do you end the lawsuits that's one of the primary factors that i'm that i'm focused on because we spend way too much money uh in court instead of improving habitat and other conditions that we can get the salmon back and you do that by saying okay you're going to take out these lower four snake river dams but you're going to relicense all of the dams in the pacific northwest uh, that produce more than five, five megawatts of power for a 35 to 50 year period, depending on when their license comes to. That means so, they would not be subject to uh, lawsuits, lawsuits under the Endangered Species uh, under the Endangered Species Act, Clean Water Act, and the NEPA process. And I'll tell you, when I talk to power companies about that, they drool that because they yeah, know bad. that w- when a license comes up. Uh, it takes forever and costs hundreds of millions of dollars. And in fact, the example I use is the Hell's Canyon complex that Idaho Power has been trying to relicense for the last 25 years. It's cost them three times as money as much money to relicense the, those dams as it did to build the dams. And it still hasn't been they still haven't been relicensed after 25 years. And, and uh, that's because they're that's caught up in crazy. lawsuits. Yeah. Huh. Lawsuits and demands from federal agencies to do this and that and other things, you know. A lot of federal agencies look at it as their cash cow. Well, you know, we could get a park built down here. Okay, we'll go along with it if you'll build us this park or these boat ramps or the you know other things that federal agencies ask for uh, ask for when they do a relicensing, and it's just it's devastating because guess who pays those costs? It's the ratepayers. Yep. Yep. Are the are the environmental groups are they on board with this? Do you think, or, or where are they at with this? Well, there's a letter just came out from 17 environmental groups. I call them the extreme environmental groups over in Washington and Oregon, opposed to this. Yeah. Uh, and the reason they're opposed to it, they want the dams removed, they want salmon returned, but they don't like losing their ability to sue, mm-hmm. which kind of gives you their game plan for the future. Is that they want to continue these lawsuits because they make money off of them, frankly. Uh, under the EJA process, uh, equal access to justice, uh, 
act that uh, pays them if they win a lawsuit in part or in whole, their attorney's fees are paid for and, and their court costs are paid for and so forth. It's actually a, a cottage industry that's been created. But I will tell yeah. you, most of the most of the mainstream environmental groups uh, uh, are supportive of what we're trying to do. Those extreme groups just really rub me the wrong way because they, they present themselves as, as these friends to the environment and the fish and the salmon and the and the habitat and everything else, but they, they're more detrimental than they are good for for everything that they're talking about because of these lawsuits. Like you said, it's like a cottage industry. You know, they, they just yep. make so much dang money off it. Um Yep. Yeah. That's don't, absolutely true. Don't take me down that path, Congressman. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be on here for a long time. <laughs> um, the one thing I do, I want to talk about real quick. I, I didn't cover this. Is the uh, there's a lot of concern about the sediment. Once once the dams are breached and all the sediment, uh, there's there's I know there's money um, basically planned or budgeted for the removal of the sediment. And does that can you talk about the sediment removal and if that will have negative environmental impacts downriver? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's going to be some sediment that uh, goes downriver, but as I said, we've put in resources to the dredging behind each of the dams before it's uh, before it would be breached uh, to remove as much of the sediment as you can. You're not going to get 100% of it. Some of it's going to go down to the John Day Dam. And you're going to have to have to remove. Uh, sediment down there also so uh i mean that's a challenge but it's amazing how fast uh when we've looked at other places that have removed dam how quickly or have removed dams that how quickly that sediment washes out and stuff in fact uh some people say that at the elway river uh in washington where they removed the the major dam there and salmon came back in a heartbeat that the sediment actually made kind of a a uh area where salmon are spawning out in the in the ocean and stuff uh, so it's you know uh, um, but we're we're cognizant of the fact that there is environmental impacts of removing these dams and uh, and we have to deal with that and and dredge as much of the sediment as you can out of there and you can remove most of it yeah I, I, and and one thing one note i want to make on that is the the difference be- with your proposal and what's kind of taken place in the past is you you've essentially thought of all the implications here. You, you've thought about the repercussions of breaching these dams, and you've got solutions accounted for. A lot of the the flack that I'm seeing being thrown around on social media and stuff, I just want to like respond and say, have you actually read the proposal? Have you actually gone through and read the proposal? Because it talks about all this. And a lot yeah. of people are not going to do that, and so I, I figured it'd be good to get you on the podcast because, um, you know, it's a lot of this information is there on on your website. Which, by the way, uh, folks, if you're listening, if you go to simpson.house.gov uh, and click on the energy and salmon concept, the proposal is right there. The concept, uh, how it's funded, um, myths and facts, which that's a that's a huge part of that because uh, there are a lot of myths going around around uh, regarding yep. the proposal. So. Uh, do you want to add to that? Well, you know, proposals in the past, and we've had like 25 different collaborative efforts over the years uh, looking at, uh, at how to save salmon runs, and they all come down. What's happened is, you know, they all say, well, let's improve the habitat. Okay, but, you know, everybody can agree with that. Let's do this. Let's do that. All of the things that are relatively easy, and then it comes down to the issue of dams, and it just all breaks apart. Uh I saw that uh, Senator Cantwell uh, said, well, maybe in this uh, infrastructure package, we could put some money into improving habitat. Well, you know what? The best habitat these salmon have is in Idaho right now. 
But the reality is, is if salmon can't get to it, it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so uh, we have we have tried to think of things, but proposals in the past of removing dams have just been, wow, let's just take the dams out. Well, we're the first ones to actually say, wait a minute, those dams have a value. And they have stakeholders, they have communities that have been built up around them and so forth, and they have interests that are beyond just uh, those those local interests. So we have to take all of that into consideration. But uh, people are so firm, firmly set to start with that it's hard for them to get past just dam removal and say, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the dams out, then how are you gonna deal with all these issues? And that's what we've tried to do in this, and that's why we put it out, as I said, as a as a concept for people to listen to, uh, to think about, you know, what I'm saying, put down the pitchforks and let's talk about this. Uh, I'm sure there are things that we haven't thought about that will come out as we hold more and more hearings around the the uh, state and around my district. I think I held uh, about 12 meetings last week with county commissioners and public was invited to those and so forth uh, just to discuss the, the concept. But as people learn more about it, there will be things and different ideas that, uh, that people have that we'll take into consideration as we're doing that. And then when we finally decide that we want to write a bill, it is going to take a while to write that bill because it is very complex as, as we've learned in this discussion. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's a, I mean, it's, it's a huge expense as well. I mean, that, that's yeah. also, I think on the minds of everybody, it's a taxpayer expense. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about, we're breaching the dams, right? And the rivers get flowing again, the water cools down, the habitat becomes more sustainable for, for our wild salmon. They start coming back. Um, that's great. What other benefits, if there are any, are there to this? Are there benefits to industry? Are there benefits to, uh, you know, obviously there's there's going to be recreational benefits and also outfitter benefits, I'm sure. Um, sure. Is there is there anything I'm missing there? What what else would we could we expect uh, to see come out of the removal? Well, you know, the exciting part to me would be to end these lawsuits. Uh, mm. Every power company in the United States or every power company in the Pacific Northwest that has a dam that needs to be relicensed uh, is just dreading that day when it has to come up for relicensing. Uh, and the, as as I said earlier, those costs are going to ultimately be shared by the ratepayers. So. It is it is time to end these lawsuits, which would benefit uh, the uh, the uh, communities greatly. The other thing we've done in this uh, proposal is put a fund in for uh, watershed partnerships uh, in uh, the different regions, uh, all the way up to the Puget Sound. Where if uh, uh, and and what it would be is that say the the Middle Snake down here, which has issues with uh, water quality because of confined feeding operations, large dairy herds and runoffs that go into the Snake River and we have phosphate and nitrate issues and stuff. But if a group, uh, uh, and, and these would be, would have to determine this in the legislation, who would be the, uh, the organizi- organizing body behind a watershed partnership program that they came up with uh, a uh, proposal that, you know, this is how you're going to handle these issues and that kind of stuff. If a farmer voluntarily decided to join them, they would be exempt from the Clean Water Act and the Endangered Species Act for a period of 25 years as that watershed project, as long as they're following the rules that they've established and it's cleaning up the the water. Uh, and that same type of available uh, availability of watershed partnerships would be available in the Willamette Valley and the in the Yakima Valley and and other places too. So uh, we put resources in there for that, trying to make sure that uh, uh, farmers in the region 
can get that safety and security that they need uh, to move forward. Otherwise, they're going to be facing lawsuits uh, as they are now, particularly in southern Idaho over water quality. So as we as we're, I know I'm, I'm keeping you a while here, Congressman, um, I, I, I appreciate this again, but kind of in a nutshell, when we're looking at this proposal, we've got currently most wildlife biologists agree that the dams are what is going to create wild salmon extinction in Idaho, correct? Is that a fair correct. statement? Yes. Uh, okay. And so with this proposal, this would be... This is not like we're talking about going in next week and removing these dams. The first right. two dams would come out <clears throat> or be breached uh, in 2030, and and then the next two dams would be breached in 2031. And by right. by breached, we mean the concrete section of these dams would remain in place so that in the future, were this to turn out maybe uh, badly, uh, those could be reconstructed fairly easily. Is that a fair statement? Right. You would remove the earthen berms on the sides of the dams. Okay. And uh, divert the river around them. Prior to that taking place, power replacement would be in place. Is that fair? Yes. A statement. Okay. Before you before you lost the power placement the power from these four dams, you would have to have the firm power in place uh, to do that. And then also the infrastructure to um, make sure that our ag uh, industry isn't suffering uh, in terms of shipping. That would be in place right. prior. Yes. And is there any uh, detrimental habitat issues besides some some various sediment that would be going down uh, stream that would be beyond that, you know, more more impactful to the to the landscape uh, that we would need to worry about? You know, nobody has brought that up. Nobody has suggested that there is. Uh, so I and I can't think of any to tell you the truth. And so basically, what would happen at that point? is our wild salmon would only have to uh, traverse up four dams on on the lower Columbia. And once they hit right. Idaho, it's going to open up a lot of the tributaries that maybe haven't seen uh, salmon in, in a lot of years. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and I've seen substantially reduced salmon. I, uh, I go up to Marsh Creek, uh, which is in the Stanley Basin, uh, which is some of the purest, cleanest habitat for, for salmon that there is. And if we're lucky, we'll find one or two. Congressman, but, uh, don't, don't give away your fishing spots on a on a show yeah, like this. <laughs> these aren't fishing. You can't fish for these. These oh, are these okay. are these are spawning salmon. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know where you used to see uh, mini salmon uh, today. It's just you're lucky if you find a couple. So it, that, with all that being said, um, it is it is safe to say that this is a pretty solid bet that this would recover our, our wild salmon in the state of Idaho. Uh, with little impact to industry and little impact to, uh, uh, to ratepayers for for power, is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. I, I know a lot of this sounds redundant, but I'm I'm trying to create this this uh, you know foundation uh, for this discussion. Now, obviously, right. this is going to cost a lot of money. Can you can you talk about the budget for for just a second and talk about where that money comes from and 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 why it makes sense in your mind? Well, it would cost what we've got a the cost estimate right now is about thirty three and a half billion dollars. That's B with a, a billion with a B. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, that's a substantial amount of money. If you look at what's being proposed right now in Congress as an infrastructure package, uh, about two point two five trillion. That's an enormous amount of money. If we were able to get uh, the three thirty three and a half billion dollars. 
in just a put it in a uh, Columbia Basin initiative that could only be spent once you pass legislation to do this, because we'd have to pass the legislation after that, and that's going to take some time. Uh, but that would be about one and a half percent of all the total this, this, that they're talking about doing right now. They're going to spend this two and two trillion dollars. Uh, I mean, that's going to pass Congress. So should the Pacific Northwest and Idaho uh, get some of those resources to address the needs that we have in designing our own future? I think yes. Uh, so that's what we would look at in trying to get those uh, those resources to to do this. But uh, you know, that's what it reflects. The cost of it reflects the value of those dams. Uh, we're not trying to say that these are you know you can just take them out and there's no consequences. Okay. Um, I like that answer. Okay. So we've got the 33 billion. We've got, we've got all the repercussions of removing the dams kind of addressed within the proposal. We've got the, the science that backs this up. We've got the, uh, in, industry side speaking of shipping and grain and agriculture and rail and power, uh, and to include recreation all kind of covered within the proposal. As it stands right now, for me, I have gone from completely against it to uh, I, I am for this proposal, and and I I would I would be willing to do. Did I lose you? Oh, did I lose you? Are you there? You said as it stands right now, and then I lost you. Oh, okay. I'll repeat it. So as it stands right now, uh, I have gone from completely against this proposal to all for it, and and so I guess my question would be at this point is what is the next step and where are we at with everything? Well, to convince another 1.5 million people <laughs> like you have been convinced. <laughs> no, uh, and, and I'm a tough nut to crack. I mean, I'm kind <laughs> of a stubborn old bugger. So if, if you can convince me, I feel like it's, it's pretty easy. <laughs> well, you know, you get uh, you, you uh, if you can sit down and talk to people in small groups or or uh, individually, uh, you find that a lot of them are more receptive to this than than one might think. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there that have talked to me that are uh, think this is the way to head, but they're not really sure they want to be public about it because of uh, some of the opposition and stuff. Yeah, and that's I, I was like take, that for a minute. Well, it's going to take time uh, and many discussions with people, and I'm willing to do that. I'm going to be in North Idaho. I'm going to be in Washington. I'm going to be in Oregon uh, and obviously in my district in Southern Idaho, trying to tell people what this is about. And all I'm asking is people – Let's sit down the pitchforks and let's talk about our future. Uh, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to convince enough people that this makes sense or something like this makes sense. Because uh, I won't suggest that we've thought of everything. Uh, some people have brought up ideas that, you know, we just kind of went, wow, we never thought about that. Better we take it into, we better take it into consideration, whatever, whatever they were talking about. So uh, this is a learning process for all of us. But this is a discussion that frankly had to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on that note, what you were talking about with, with, ha, I, well, let me ask you this way. Since the proposal has been made public to today, have you noticed any kind of shift in the perspectives or, uh, the way, you know, people react to it, whether it's on social media or in person at a, you know, at a, a question and answer kind of event, ha, what, what's been, what's, what's taken place? Well, you know, it is. Uh, yeah, I, I think there has been a shift. I think there was that uh, that initial reaction from almost everybody, uh, except for the people that we had been working with, uh, 
that said, oh, that's crazy. We'll never do that. You know, and, stuff. and I think I'm, I'm starting to see more people step back and say, well, wait a minute, maybe we ought to consider this, you know, and a lot of them are saying, I'm not sure I agree with dam removal yet, but I admire you for taking on this challenge because this is an issue that needs to be addressed. So, mm-hmm. and what I say to them is, okay, if you don't want to remove the dams, if you don't think that's the right answer, give me your alternative. That's all I ask, you know. <laughs> so who who benefits, uh, wild salmon aside, who benefits the most in Idaho for, for removing these dams? I actually think it's agriculture. Uh, okay. They receive certainty, certainty and security that they need for a future uh, and not have to worry about uh, about uh, the lawsuits, the endless lawsuits that come down uh, about water quality and so forth. And we can actually... We can actually clean up the waters and we can improve water quantity. Uh, we can do a lot of things if we're willing to step back from what we currently do. Uh, but, you know, I, I I have not heard one person say, I don't want salmon recovered. Let's just call in the God Squad and they're extinct, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, Everybody says, hey, I want salmon recovered as much as anybody does. But generally what that means for a lot of people is I want salmon recovered as long as I don't have to change anything I'm doing. But change is difficult for people. Boy, I understand that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want people to step back and say, okay, how can we do this differently? I want to hammer home one point you just made there, uh, going back to the agricultural uh, or or the ag that that are going to benefit the most from this because I I think I want to make sure that point isn't missed because as it stands right now with the environmental lawsuits out there and and the way that shipping is right now, a judge can essentially put a stop to that shipping, whether temporarily or permanently, out of the blue, leaving these farmers um, essentially with no other option immediately, right? Um, Yep. That's absolutely true. And where with this, that removes that risk out of being a farmer and moving grain in the state of Idaho. Um, And that was a huge factor for me uh, when I I was looking at this. Uh, I'm not a farmer, but I'm I'm sensitive to farmers and farmers' issues uh, because my family is, is involved in that. Uh, so, so that's that's a sensitive topic for me, and and that was one of those those things that uh, really shifted my mindset, uh, as well as some of the other points that you've made here. But uh, I just want to make sure that that point is hammered home. This actually protects agricultural more than it would negatively impact it in any way, uh, yeah. and that's a big deal. Imagine being a farmer, waking up on a on a Wednesday morning, and all of a sudden, bam! You just find out a federal judge has shut down shipping on the Columbia River. Because of an environmentally yeah. lawsuit, how are you and moving that product? Exactly. You know, and I find it interesting that just uh, this last week I read a press release from the uh, Washington uh, or the excuse me, Columbia Snake River Irrigators Association, uh, and that those are people that pump out of the out of the the pools down at uh, by Ice Harbor and so forth, and uh, they said, listen. In their press release, we have always been adamantly opposed to dam removal and so forth and so on. The circumstances are changing, and a judge can impose, you know, X, Y, and Z and that kind of stuff. And they said, we better be a part of this discussion of our future rather than just let it happen to us. So even they're starting to see uh, the need to address this issue. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, huge when I read it. Yeah. So I asked you the one way. Let me ask you this way: um, Who benefits the most by doing nothing? With these dams, I don't think anybody benefits. 
I, I cannot find anybody that would benefit from this. I, I would challenge uh, you from, on that, Congressman. I, I would challenge you on that. I would say that the environmental, the, the extreme environmental groups would benefit by doing nothing. Yeah, that might be true because they're going to continue the lawsuits and that's going to be their their income, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. because they're they're the ones that, that make the mo- most ruckus, but do the least for our wildlife and conservation and public lands and everything else that hunters and anglers are, are, are the people that actually put their teeth into these issues. And we actually that's get things true. done. And so that that to me, um, clearly, if you can't pick up on my voice, I have some disdain for extreme left wing <laughs> environmental wackos. <laughs> you you and me both. Okay, but, good. You know, and I've always said, I mean, you know, and farmers get attacked by them all the time. And I will tell you that uh, the best environmentalists in this country are farmers mm-hmm. because they know the value of that land and they know that if they destroy that land, uh, there goes their industry. It's like me being a dentist, not taking care of my hand drill, you know? Yeah. That's how I make my living. Farmers make their living off the land. They care about this land and making sure that uh, it's maintained healthily uh, in a healthy way. Are there occasionally a bad farmer? Yeah, there's a guy that overgrazes or something like that. But as a whole, the best environmentalist in this country actually is the agricultural industry. Man, I'll be honest with you. I kind of cringed when you talked about your hand drill as a as a. I, I just <laughs> I just had a root canal like three weeks ago, and it was a it was a actually for for what it was, it was a good experience. But I I just never want to be tortured in a dental chair again. Well, we call it endodontics. Uh, <laughs> the word the word root canal is, is kind of scary all in itself. <laughs> Did you know that they were doing root canals in ancient Egypt? Yeah. Yeah, they I, did. I didn't know that because I asked the dentist when I was there. I was like, how did this happen back in, let's say, Egyptian times or, or back in his, before they had Novocaine? Uh, what happened here? I mean, did people just die from the infection or what? And they, he gave me the whole history on it. It was really interesting. You know how they used to deaden the nerve when they would be working on a tooth like that? I mean, this is like in the 1800s. How? They would put, they would put arsenic in it. Oh, wow. No way. A, a pellet with arsenic on it. Oh, arsenic's not all that good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, uh, we've come a long ways. <laughs> we have come a long ways for sure. We've come a long ways, and I feel like, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of things in going on in this country right now that, that disappoint me. Uh, but I, I still feel like we, we are the United States of America, and, and this is still Idaho, and, and we can still go a long ways from this point forward. Uh, but we have work to do. And so yep, we do. Um, I, I really appreciate the conversation. I Personally, I got a lot out of this. I feel like my audience is going to get a lot out of this. Uh, I, I appreciate uh, – I know I've taken over an hour here, so uh, we better wrap this up. But thanks a bunch for coming on. Um, any closing thoughts that you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I would. Uh, you know, Jim, uh, I don't know how old you are. I'm getting up there. I'm 40. Okay. You'll be around for a while, but (laughs) you know, we're really not doing this for us. We're doing it for your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. I want them to have the same experiences and be able to enjoy, uh, the Idaho that we've all been able to enjoy over the years and the great outdoors that we have here and the reason that we live in Idaho. Uh, and we can do it. We can do it without destroying our economy, without putting under anybody under hardship. Uh, we just have to think about the future a little bit. And uh, I think most Idahoans, when they step back, they want that same thing for their kids too. Yeah, I agree. That's great. I've never, I've never thought of it that way. Um, great. Yeah. Well, Congressman, 
thanks a bunch for coming on. This has been great. Uh, and and personally, thank you for uh, what, what you've done with public lands and the Great American Outdoors Act and and uh, and this pr- proposal. You know, you opened my eyes to a lot of this just by presenting this proposal. It just wasn't something I, I put a lot of thought into. So um, if you'd asked me six weeks ago to carry on a, a, a conversation for an hour about wild salmon on, on the lower Snake River, uh, I would have been like, no way. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> so Well, you've, you've learned a lot in that six weeks then because I you're have. very knowledgeable on it and stuff. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And so I'd love to get you back on in the future to t- discuss more public lands issues. Are, are you okay with that? You bet. Anytime. You just let us know, Jim. You see how I kind of trapped you while we're still recording to make sure you, you commit to a future <laughs> recording? That's okay. That's okay. I enjoyed the program and uh, look forward to to many more of them with you. Sounds great. Thanks, Congressman, and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.